Well, I'm excited to be in Exodus chapter 14 this morning. Exodus chapter 14. It's a great passage of scripture because it is the Israelites at the Red Sea, and it's that great miracle we see where God parts the Red Sea. But before we get there, I want to ask you a question. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Have you ever been in a situation where you've either thought in your mind or you've actually verbally said out loud, I don't know what to do? I want to make a statement. This is exactly where God wants to take us oftentimes in our lives. He wants to take us to a place where we can't do anything and everything seems impossible because it is at those moments that we become completely dependent upon who he is and what he is and what he wants to do. See, oftentimes when he doesn't take us to those places, we get wrapped up in ourselves and we lean on our own understandings. But he wants us to be totally and completely dependent upon him. I wonder if there's someone in here today that maybe is walking through a difficult situation right now. You're in the middle of a storm. Maybe you have a child that's rebelling against the Lord and is rebelling against you as a parent. And you don't know what to do. Maybe you get up and go to a job every day that is very difficult and there's a lot of turmoil there and to be honest with you, you're just done with it and you're ready to quit and give up but you don't have another place to go and you don't know what to do. Maybe your marriage is struggling and you don't know what to do. Maybe you're walking through cancer and you don't know what to do. Maybe you've walked through loss during the pandemic and you don't know what to do. Well, let's look this morning and see what God calls us to do when we don't know what to do. Exodus chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 10 in just a moment. But before we do, let's set the context here and make sure we're all on the same page of exactly where the Israelites are, where we begin in verse 10 of chapter 14. Remember, God had spoken to Moses at the burning bush. And he had said, I want you to go to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I can't imagine being there, uh, Moses taking off his sandals and standing on that holy ground, and he really didn't stand. He fell before the Lord because he couldn't even stand up there. And I I can imagine God telling him to do this, and oh, by the way, Moses, Pharaoh's probably not going to listen to you, but don't worry. You just keep telling him, let my people go. So Moses gets up, he goes to Egypt, he says to Pharaoh, let my people go, thus says the Lord. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And God began to send plagues onto Egypt. You remember, there were ten of them. And it wasn't until God sent the tenth plague, the plague of death, that Pharaoh finally softened a little bit. And it affected them so mightily, he finally said, you know what, Moses, take your people and get out of here. Can you imagine after 400 years of being in captivity there in Egypt, what that day of celebration would have been like? When they were marching out, they were exiting, exodus, they were leaving Egypt and they were going to the promised land. Now I want you to know that oftentimes when God is going to take us to a place, he sometimes does, but he rarely takes us by the shortest route. Oftentimes he takes us through a winding way that has many storms. Oftentimes he takes us through a way where we think, why in the world would we come this way? How many of you have been using your GPS before and heard these words, redirecting, redirecting, redirecting? If you're anything like me, I'm directionally challenged. 
I can't sit in my office and tell you where the worship center is. I've got to walk out and get my bearings straight. So if I get about three miles to five miles past my house, I'm using my GPS. And I can remember being on a trip one time saying, stay on this road for 100 miles. I like those instructions. They're easy and simple, and I can follow that. And we went about 10 minutes, and we heard this, redirecting, redirecting, take the next exit. And I looked down at the GPS, and it's added 25 minutes to my trip. Frustrating. Frustrating. Why would it add 25 minutes to my trip? But what we fail to realize sometimes is that GPS has just a little bit more data than we do. You see, there's been a wreck further up the interstate that's at a standstill. And so the GPS is redirecting us a different route. It may add a little bit of time, but it's going to be safer. And it's actually going to be shorter than us going and sitting in that line where that bad wreck is. Now, the GPS is not always right, and it is not perfect but we still follow it, don't we? And we typically don't have an issue with it. How is it that when God is leading us somewhere, oftentimes we say, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to take matters into my own hand, and we go the opposite way. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he says, ah, I don't think so. I'm going to go the other way. And God says, oh, are you, big boy? I'll get your attention. I'm going to make you get swallowed by a big fish. God has his ways. All I know is when it doesn't seem right to me, But I hear the voice of God saying, can I just say this? You better pay attention and walk in obedience because God has a plan and a purpose. He brings them to the Red Sea, and now Pharaoh is on their tail. We pick up in verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. What do you do when you don't know what to do? The first thing you do is you cry out to the Lord. You cry out to the Lord. He is the first place you go. Now don't be mistaken. This does not mean that the only time you pray is when you're in the middle of the storm. The Bible tells us we are to pray without ceasing. You should be in a constant conversation with the Lord. He's the only one that's all-knowing. Why would we not take everything to Him? And so we're to be praying at all times. But it is in the moment of the storm that we cry out. And it's a little bit different. I think about my relationship with my children. I've got four of them. I love them dearly. And we have conversations all the time. We talk when they rise up. We talk when we're eating meals. We talk when we're driving in the car. We talk all the time. And we like to tell jokes. And we like to have fun. And we like to play sports. And we like to just be together as a family. And when my children are talking, my wife and I typically are listening because we love that relationship. But on occasion, one of them will fall and get hurt. One of them will fall off their bike and scrape their knee. One of them, I remember, jumped off the bed and tried to jump onto the end table, slipped and hit their face on the end table and busted open and they were bleeding. And it's at that moment that the 
cry out for mom and dad, and you better believe when we hear that cry, they get a different response than when we're sitting at the dinner table just having a conversation. Because one of my children is hurting, and they need me. They need my wife. How much greater is our Heavenly Father that when we were in need, when we are in need, He desires for us to come to Him. Why is it that we will phone a friend or we'll read a self-help book or we'll watch a movie to try to relax in the middle of a storm when Jesus is saying, bring all your cares, all you who are weak and heavy laden, come to me. Don't take it to anybody else, come to me. Now I would say to you, don't be like the Israelites. What does it say at the end of verse 10? It says, so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, but look, in their next breath, they began complaining. Now, I think that if there were some words written about me, that uh, there would probably some, be some things said very similar to this. Derek prays, and then he complains. <laughs> Why would we do this? We are taking our requests to the God of all gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is mighty. He is seated on the throne, and he is asking you to bring everything to him. So don't be like the Israelites where you may say a prayer, you just kind of throw something out, but then you immediately turn around and start complaining and start planning as if God's not going to do anything. That's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to cry out to him. Psalm 50 verse 15 says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Psalm 118 Verses 1 through 5, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say his loving kindness is everlasting. From my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What do we do when we don't know what to do? We go to the only one that knows what to do. We go to our Heavenly Father and we cry out and we come before Him. I want to remind you that man can do nothing unless God allows it. Now let me go a step further and say the devil can do nothing unless God allows it. And if you don't believe me, go to the book of Job. Remember that it was not the devil who came to God and said, I want to do something to Job. It was God who said to the devil, hey, have you taken notice of my boy Job down there? He's walking with me. And the devil said, well, he's only walking with you because you're blessing him. And God allowed, can I just say this? Why would anyone want to follow the devil when he has to ask permission from God to do anything? He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And when you don't know what to do, you cry out to the Lord. Look back at verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. What does the Lord do here? The Lord tells him, this is what the Israelites are to do, this is what you are to do, and here is what I am going to do. Now, God doesn't always give us all those steps. Sometimes he just says, trust me, take the next step. But in this situation, he says, tell the Israelites, they're to take that next step. 
As for you, Moses, you take your staff and hold it up. And as for me, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He gives them these instructions. And if I'm Moses, just for that split second when I heard them, I imagine that the devil would have tempted Moses to say, don't listen to that, run, flee, fight, get away, don't listen. God doesn't know what he's talking about. But when you don't know what to do, the first thing you do is cry out to the Lord. The second thing you do is remember his promises. You remember his promises. I would imagine that just for a moment, Moses would have thought back eight chapters in chapter 6 to the promise God had given him. And I want you to listen to it. Exodus chapter 6 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, and I am... I, appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. And I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Look at verse 8. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. What did God say to Moses? He said, I hear their groanings. I'm going to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and I'm going to deliver them to the land of Canaan. He had already given Moses a promise. You see, when the devil comes to tempt you, you can reflect and remember the promises of God. How do you do that? You read God's word. I'll be honest with you. There are times that I'll pick up God's word and think, I wonder what's going to be said today. I wonder how God's going to speak to me, but God's word is alive and well. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And whenever we get in here, he speaks to us. And what Moses can do, he can remember the promises of God, that God is faithful to do exactly what he said he would do. I think this is very similar to when Jesus told the disciples, get in the boat, we're going to go to the other side. Now, when I was a young boy, my dad worked in the missions department here at the church as an intern when he was in seminary, and we came to some services here, and whenever Dr. Rogers was preaching one time, he was preaching on that particular passage where Jesus said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. And I remember Dr. Adrian Rogers saying, do you remember Jesus was asleep? The disciples got afraid. They went to Jesus and said, rise up. They were fearful, and he said, I can imagine Jesus getting up and saying, what are you fearful for? I already told you we're going to the other side. Now, I didn't tell you what it was going to be like. I didn't tell you what problems were going to come about. I didn't tell you about the storms, but I already gave you the promise that we're going to the other side. You see, when Satan comes to remind you about your past or tempt you to do something you know you're not supposed to, you don't listen to him. You listen to God. And you remember his promises. I love what it says in Genesis chapter 9 verse 16. 
When the bow is in the cloud, not a bow and arrow, but a rainbow. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Does God put a rainbow in the sky to remind himself? God puts a rainbow in the sky to remind you and I that he is faithful. And that when he says something, he will keep his word. We can remember his promises. Look again at verse 15 of chapter 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Now I want us just for a moment to put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites. Moses has been given a word from the Lord. Tell the Israelites to go forward. Now let's just remember where they are. The Israelites are actually boxed in in the place they are. If we were to put a map up there, we would see the Red Sea all in front of them. And over to one side, historians will tell us that there was very rough terrain. It was not a place that you would take children and people that have a hard time walking. There were probably cliffs and all kinds of things like that. On the other side was probably very similar. And behind them were the Egyptians. Where were they going to go? Where do we go when we don't know where to go? What do we do when we don't know what to do? I would imagine that the Israelites are coming up with solutions in their minds to the problem. I don't know if you're anything like me, but oftentimes I get into a situation and I begin to analyze the situation and I quickly try to come up with human solutions to the problem because you and I can't look through the eyes of an infinite God and be able to do whatever we want to do. We can only do what we can do. And it's not a lot, to be honest with you. And so if I was the Israelites and I was in this situation and I was going to analyze where we are and what our options are, I think they would think that there are one of four options. The first option would be to run. Run. Why don't we just take off right now and maybe some of us will make it. But remember, they can't run forward. There's a huge sea. They really can't go to the right or the left because the terrain is not set up for young children and people that struggle walking. And by the way, they weren't on horses and camels. They were carrying all their stuff with them and they were walking. So running's really not the best option. But how many of you know oftentimes God calls us to do something and the first thing we do is run? That's not really a good option. The second option they may have is to fight. We see the Egyptians coming at us. We know we can't go that way because of the sea. Running's not an option in either direction. So there's a bunch of us. Let's turn around and fight. And at least if we all die fighting, we will not go back into captivity. But the reality is, if you look in the first nine verses of this chapter, it says that Pharaoh got 600 of the choicest chariots. You know what he had done? He called all the Navy SEALs in. He got all the Army Rangers together. He got the specialists, the special ops, the very best. And then it says he got all the rest of the chariots. So he has all of his chariots. They have all the swords, all the spears, all the men that are ready to fight in battle, all the warriors. And here are the Israelites carrying whatever they own. Maybe a shovel. I don't know what they had. But fighting is really not an option. How many of you know oftentimes we get in the middle of a situation and the first thing we do is begin to fight on our own? And God has not called you and I to be the one that stands up and fights. 
He calls us to fall in obedience with him and let him do our fighting for us. Fighting doesn't seem to be the best option. A third option would be to surrender. Maybe the Egyptians are coming at them, Moses, you get your staff and you put a white flag on the end of it and you go out waving that thing and we'll just surrender and you just say, oh, Mr. Pharaoh, we apologize for being disgruntled slaves. And we are excited and more than welcome to come back into captivity. And by the way, you can double our workload. Just please don't kill us. But the reality is they had just spent 400 years in that. They knew what it was like and they had an idea of what it would be like if they went back. And oh, by the way, they knew they would probably not live through it because Pharaoh was not just coming after them with a few men. He was coming at them with everything he had with a vengeance. And so surrender doesn't really seem to be the best option. Well, there's a fourth option. Maybe we could swim it. The Red Sea is out in front of us. We have a little pieces of wood here and there from our wagons. And maybe there's enough wood to help a few of our people across. So let's just all jump in and swim. Can I just make a statement? The Red Sea is not the size of the little pond we have out back behind here at Bellevue. It's big. I've never been there, but I've looked at it on a map. It's huge. There's no way to swim across that thing. And remember, we have small children and people that probably wouldn't have been able to swim. Swimming is just not a good option. But how many of you know, oftentimes we get in the middle of a storm, and when you ask somebody how they're doing, they just say, just trying to keep my head above water. And they're drowning. And this is the exact place God wants to bring you and I to a place where we don't know what to do. So that we can turn to him, we can cry out to the Lord. We can remember his promises in number three. We can step forward in obedience. What does he say at the end of 15? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Go forward where? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you can't see five steps in front of you. It doesn't matter if you can't see the five-year plan, pastor, has been talking a lot lately about don't worry about a five-year plan or a ten-year plan or a three-month plan. Just follow the cloud. If God says go, go. Take that next step. It doesn't make sense. The Red Sea is there. Where are we going to go? Brother Steve preached a sermon on verses 13 and 14 about five years ago. As a matter of fact, if you go to YouTube and type in Steve Gaines... Exodus 14, that message will pop up, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. And while he was preaching, as I listened to it this past week, he said this. He said, sometimes God brings you to a storm, and he takes you over the storm. Sometimes God brings you to a storm, and he takes you around the storms. But oftentimes, God brings you to a storm, and he takes you through the storm. You say, I don't know where this next step's going to take us, that's where he wants you. Total and complete dependency on him. Do you think Daniel knew what the next step for him was when the king said, you can't pray to anybody but me? And Daniel said, I'm going to do what God's called me to do, even if I die in the process. He goes up to his prayer room. He prays like he always had. He gets caught. He gets thrown into the den of lions. There is no safer place to be than in the den of lions when you are with the God of all gods. 
What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The king says, you must bow down to me and no one else. And they said, we cannot do that. Our God is a jealous God. He doesn't want anybody to bow down to anyone else. He wants us to bow down to him. He is our God. He is our Lord. And we will not listen to you, king. We will only bow down to the Lord. And it doesn't make sense. That next step doesn't look good for them. But you know what? The safest place you can be is in the middle of the fiery furnace with the Son of God. That's the best place you can be. Because you remember, the king had turned the heat up seven times. And as his guards threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, the flames were so hot they killed the guards. And old Pharaoh looks down in there and he says, I thought we threw three men in there. And they said, we did. And he said, well, there's a fourth one in there, and he looks like the Son of God. Call those boys out. And when he brings them out, the Bible says that many believed. You see, sometimes God takes you through the middle of the storm to sanctify you. And sometimes he takes you through the middle of the storm to teach people around you that he is alive and well. And that he is a loving God. And he is a caring God. And he is the place you and I are to go you know, when we don't know what to do, we are to take that next step of obedience. I love what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. He will provide a way of escape. Where there seems to be no way, he will make a way. I can remember when I was a little boy, I loved to go to my Mima's house. And most Friday nights, you could find me at my Mima's house because we would be getting to bed fairly early on Friday night preparing for garage sale Saturday morning. And we would wake up early and she would get the newspaper and she would circle anything that she thought would be good for her garden. And I would circle everywhere that I saw the four letters T-O-Y-S, toys. She'd give me about $10. We'd drive around in her Honda Civic. We'd fill the trunk so full of all the junk we bought. And we'd be driving back to the house just excited as can be. And I love those memories of my Mima. On this one particular Friday, she picked me up from school. And we went to her house. And one of my favorite things to do would be to go into her backyard. She had a beautiful garden. Great places to sit. Flowers everywhere. A little pond with goldfish in it. But she also had some great climbing trees. And I love to climb trees. And I can remember this particular Friday climbing up and making the decision when I got to about the point, the highest point I had ever been at, that I was going all the way. I was going to climb to the very tip top of this tree and I was going to see as far out into Bentonville, Arkansas as I could possibly see. I wanted to look over her house, her neighbor's house, and I wanted to see a couple neighborhoods away. And I can remember climbing to the top. And I can remember looking as far as my little eyes could see. And then I can remember looking down. And I can remember tears welling up in my eyes. And I can remember yelling out, crying out, Mima, I can't get down from here. I don't know how to get down from here. And I knew my grandfather was at work and my father was at work. And I knew there was no chance my little five foot, 100 pound Mima was going to climb this tree and even if she could climb this tree, there was no chance she was going to carry me down. She was a little fiery woman. And I can remember her saying, you listen to my voice. I'm going to talk you down. 
But you got to listen to every word I say and follow my instruction. Take your left foot. Stake it off of the limb that it's on. Go down about a foot and a half to two feet, and you've got to kind of move your foot around the left side of the tree. You see, what had happened was, when I looked down to see where the next branch was, I couldn't see it. Because I had forgotten that I had stepped on a branch on the other side of the tree trunk, and I couldn't see it. And I remember planting my foot on that limb, and her say, great job, now take your right foot. Move it down a couple feet. There's a limb on your right. It's a very solid limb. You're going to be fine. And she just walked me down that tree. And I can remember what seemed to be five or six hours of trying to get out of that tree was probably moments. But when I got down, before I could wipe the tears off of my eyes, my Mimo had her arm around me. And she said, I'm so proud of you. I love you. You listened to my instructions, and now you're safe. And I think this is exactly what God desires from you and I. That when we can't see the next limb, when we don't know where to go, we'd cry out to the Lord and we would listen to his voice and we would take that first step so that our heavenly father will pull us up into his lap and we could cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. And he would say, I'm proud of you. I love you. Way to listen to my instructions. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You cry out to the Lord. You remember his promises. You step forward in obedience. Isaiah 43, verses 15 through 19 says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse and the army, the mighty man. They will lie down together and not rise again. They have been quenched and extinguished like a wick. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, for whatever reason he wants to. And all he calls us to do is take that next step of obedience. You say, what do I do after I take the next step? You then take the next step and the next step. And you don't worry about all the junk around you. You don't worry about the storm. You don't worry about what everyone else is saying. You don't worry about what the culture is telling you. You don't worry about where the politics are. You don't worry about any of that stuff. You just take the next step. You just take the next step. Well, as the old preacher from Alabama says, it's getting gooder and gooder. Because we have arrived at verse 19. And I said I wasn't going to read all of it, but we got to do it because it's so good. It says, the angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with the darkness. Isn't that just like the devil? Come after us in the night when we can't see anything, but God says, I am your light. And he brings light right here. Yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Can you imagine? I would have loved to have seen many miracles 
But this is one, if I could go back in time, I would love to take a time travel and go right here. And where I was just looking at a Red Sea where there was no way out, God has parted it. The ground is now dry, and either side I look on, there is walls of water. Unbelievable. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and the horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, now we got to stop right here. I want you to think about this. Don't tell me God can't do whatever he wants to do. God is the one that hardened Pharaoh's heart so Pharaoh would go out into the middle of the sea. Now he's got his entire army in the middle of the sea, and now God looks down and causes confusion. These great, mighty men who have been trained for years, it's now as if they can't even drive their own chariots. And look at this. The Egyptians said, not the Israelites said, the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. I've already said it and I'll say it again. Sometimes God takes you through the middle of a storm to sanctify you, but also to point someone else to him. Can you imagine this? All of the Egyptians are getting ready to die and they look and they notice his God is God. Verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them, not even one of them remained. The Lord wiped out all of them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the land of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Verse 31. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You cry out to the Lord. You remember his promises. You step forward in obedience, and you watch him work. You watch him work. Can you imagine? The Israelites only did one thing. They just kept walking. They did nothing else in the battle. God took care of it all. And through their obedience and their faith, God wipes out the whole Egyptian army. God is honored and glorified as he said he would be in chapter 6 through Pharaoh and all of the chariots because it showed his power. You see, when you and I get in the middle of a storm and we walk in obedience, it puts God's power and glory on display. That's what it does. That's why he takes us to those places so that he can be high and lifted up and he can be glorified and honored and all the people around will see that the God you serve is God. One of my dearest friends in all the world passed away not long ago, Mike Golding. And through his entire battle with cancer, you never once Never once saw him not pointing people to Jesus. He walked through the toughest storm of his life, and every time you left, you were encouraged, and you thought more highly of Jesus 
even though he was walking through all of it. I'm thankful for a man like that, that even in the midst of the storm, he and Miss Pam continue to walk with the Lord and watch the Lord work, and we've seen God use their story all over the place. I can't help but use the verse in Proverbs 21 here. You hear our pastor pray it, you've heard him preach it, but it's such a great verse, and it's almost comical in certain ways. You and I oftentimes will pray that this person gets into leadership and pray that that person, and we're so worried about this and we're so worried about that. Look at what it says in Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Pharaoh thought he was all big and bad and he was going after the Israelites, and God said, you can only do what I allow you to do. He takes them into the middle of the storm. Notice that it is the same storm the Israelites were in. The storm that God was honored in and took the Israelites through, he wiped out all of the Egyptians. They both entered the same storm. They both entered the same situation, but they approached it completely differently. The Israelites were walking in obedience. The Egyptians were running with vengeance. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You cry out to the Lord. You remember his promises You step forward in obedience. You watch him work. And lastly, you praise his name. You praise his name. Look at what it says in chapter 15, verse 1. Now, almost the entire chapter is dedicated to the Moses and the Israelites singing praises to God. But just look at verse 1. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. What do they do immediately when they get on the other side of the storm? They praise the Lord. They praise the Lord. And I know what you're thinking. Sometimes we go into storms and we do these things and we come out on the other side and they're different. We prayed with everything we had that Mike would be healed and God chose to take Mike home. But I have an opportunity and my wife and children have an opportunity to walk alongside Miss Pam and watch Miss Pam continue to give praise to her God. The mic is in heaven with Jesus. There's no more pain and there's no more sorrow. And if God had chosen, I heard Jonathan Evans say this at his mama's funeral earlier this year. He said, if God had chosen to heal his mama here on earth, God would have answered Jonathan's prayer with a yes. Because he prayed that God would heal her. But when God took her home, God still answered Jonathan's prayer with a yes because she was completely healed. So whether he chose to heal her on earth, God's will was perfect. And whether he decided to take her to heaven, God's will is perfect. I don't know what storm you're walking through. I don't know what storm you're getting ready to walk through. But I know this, they're coming. Or you're in the middle of it. And God calls you to cry out to him, to remember his promises, to step forward in obedience, to watch him work, and to praise his name. Psalm 136, verses one through two say, I give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The next 10 verses of that chapter keep talking about his faithfulness and his loving kindness, and then you get to verse 13. It says, to him who divided the Red Sea asunder, for his loving kindness is everlasting. When you don't know what God is going to do, that's okay. 
You just keep walking forward. And you keep praising his name. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we affectionately call it the faith chapter or the chapter of faith. Because the whole chapter is about people that had faith in God and God saved them and blessed them. And you get all the way to verse 29 and it says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. I want you to think about that. They both entered the same storm, and only one group of people exited that storm okay. You see, when you walk with the Lord, he may take you through a storm. He may take you over it or around it, but here's the bottom line. He is going to get you through it, just like he did, and was faithful to do all throughout his word. So I have a question for you today. Have you come to a place, are you in the middle of a storm, are you dealing with a situation, are you working through a problem that you don't know what to do? Can I plead with you to run to the feet of Jesus? What did they just sing? I'm running. I'm running to the mercy seat. Would you not run to the feet of Jesus? Maybe you're in here and you say, I've tried everything I can do. I've run I've tried to swim, I've tried to fight, I've tried to do everything on my own, but I keep failing. And you say, I've never given my life to Jesus. I'm at my wit's end. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus says, I love you. I died for you. The Bible tells us if you will repent of your sins, believe that Jesus died on the cross to save you. He was raised from the dead on the third day and you believe that he is the Son of God and you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. You know what I love about that verse in Romans where it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised his Son from the dead, you will be saved? I love that word will right there. What a great promise. If you do this, if you repent, believe, and receive, you will be saved. Not maybe, might, can, probably, hopefully, prayerfully. It says, if you confess and believe, you will be saved. Some of you are in here, in this room, and you've never given your life to Jesus. Now, you go to church, and occasionally you read your Bible, or you're watching online, and you do the same, but you have never actually given your life to Jesus. Do you know why you're drowning? Because you're walking through the storm alone. And God never created you and designed you to do it by yourself. He created and designed you that you would run to him and let him carry you through the storm. 